Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of His Word. Let's begin. All About Christmas is the title of the series. This is part one, Christmas Stress. My text is Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. My sources include Bob Deppenbaugh's Studies in Christmas Faith, Richard L. Strauss, his series, The Joy of Knowing God, John MacArthur's um, New Testament commentary on Matthew, and Daniel Doriani's commentary from the Reform Expository Commentary also on Matthew. Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of God. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into this world. You are the hope of the world, and we praise you that you are our hope. And so honor us with your presence, Lord Jesus. Speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The Holmes Rahi Stress Scale assigns points to various life stresses. These points are called LCUs or life change units. Dr. Holmes and Dr. Rahi concluded that an individual who experiences a total of 300 LCUs is at a high risk for illness. Among other things, the list includes such events as Marriage, 50 points. Marital separation, 65 points. Marital reconciliation, 45 points. Pregnancy, 40 points. Adding a new family member, 39 points. Change in financial state, 38 points. Trouble with in-laws, 29 points. Change in living conditions, 25 points. Change in working conditions, 20 points. Change in residence, 20 points. Change in church activities, 19 points. Change in social activities, 18 points. Change in sleep habits, 16 points. Watching a football game against your cross-state rival... ...150 points. 
You know, seriously, Joseph and Mary could conceivably have experienced all of the events that I have listed except for the last one. And if they had, it would be a total LCU count of 435. This total excludes divorce, 73 points, as it was threatened by Joseph, but not carried out. Neither jail terms, which is 40 points, or minor violations of the law, 11 points, are included in the previously mentioned total. But Mary's pregnancy was out of wedlock. It was a violation of Jewish law, some contend, and it could have resulted in capital punishment for her, which would have been stoning. Christmas 12 was not mentioned either. So speaking of the Christmas season, Christmas is the celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Yet an incredible sense of commercialism, commercialism has, has overwhelmed this simple, sweet holiday of the birth of Christ. Lost in the fury of the celebration is the reason for the celebration, so I hope that you don't lose that. Yet, I don't think that commercialism is our real problem during the holidays. I think it's the expectations that we put on ourselves that eventually get to us. At least that's the way it seems to me. Now, the world that we know is much like the world of the Christmas story, believe it or not. I mean, think about it. Life, it seems, is all about appearances. Our society teaches us that image is everything. And when someone finds out something about your life, something that you're not really proud of, it doesn't feel good, does it? Some of you have even said to me before, I don't want people knowing my business. And I get that. I happen to have some experience in that area, especially since for pastors, life is lived in a proverbial fishbowl. Everyone's watching you. So, yes, I know what it feels like in the day in which we live to have other people talking about you and your stuff. I cannot imagine what it must have felt like to face life's circumstances in Jesus's day. Sometimes the cards you're dealt don't seem very fair. Given the fact that the appearance was embarrassing for Mary and for Joseph, the struggle for Mary and Joseph was that people talk. And oh yes, people talk back then just as much as they like to talk now, which put a lot of stress into their lives. Lots of people think of stress as the demands of life. But technically, these demands are called stressors. While the actual wear and tear on our bodies is the stress. And I find that there are at least a few demands or stressors that we face every Christmas season. And one of them I talked about several weeks ago, which is money. But there are at least two other primary demands on us at Christmas time. And the number one is the demand of our time. The demand of our time. In this sophisticated society in which we live, it is difficult to believe that a baby born 2,000 years ago could make such a radical difference in our lives. As a result, we often live like it's not true. Is that true of you? Living like it's really not true. That Jesus came. That Jesus lives. Is your life today so busy so filled with other things, with duty, with demands, with responsibilities, that you simply don't have much time for God in your own life? 
God is saying, don't let the busyness of the season rob you of what's most important, that being your relationship to God. So the first demand, the demand of time. The second is the demand of relationships. I forget who said it. It's very simple. Great advice. The advice is walk slowly through the crowds. Walk slowly through the crowds. I don't know if you saw the study this past week, but according to a survey of 2,000 Americans who are traveling to visit loved ones during the holidays, it takes three hours and 54 minutes of socializing with your family, extended family, for the average person to long for peace and quiet. Some of you can relate to that. Be careful, friends. Do yourself a favor this Christmas. View your relationships with other people as part of God's providence in your life. Yeah, you don't get to pick your family, do you? And sometimes those families, they rub us the wrong way. Well, you really don't get to pick your church family either, do you? You know, sometimes people in this church family may rub you the wrong way. Maybe there's a opportunity for you to extend forgiveness and reconciliation somewhere in this congregation or in your own home. Now, you talk about stress. Mary and Joseph, they had a lot of stress in their lives. In fact, what it appeared to be was, particularly in ancient times, morally reprehensible. Deuteronomy 22 outlines what is to happen to a promiscuous young woman, and it was no better in Jesus' day. But the scripture lets us know that what appeared to be one thing was actually quite a different thing. I understand that perception is oftentimes reality, but in this case, the perception was far, far from reality. This morning, in the remainder of our time, I want us to take a closer look at the appearances versus the reality, keeping in mind that the way things appear are not always the way things are. Here's three lessons this morning, and I hope you're following in your outline. Number one, the appearance was that Mary was an unwed mother. That's the appearance. The situation is pretty common today. In 1995, 31% of all births occurred among unmarried women. Today, that number is 40%. 40% of babies born in the United States have unmarried mothers. From all appearances, Joseph believed that Mary had been unfaithful to him, that Mary had engaged in a sexual relationship with another man, which led to her being pregnant. Which is why, according to verse 19 of the text, Joseph had decided to divorce her. But he was such an honorable man about it, wasn't he? How many honorable men are there around like Joseph? Because he was going to divorce her, excuse me, quietly. The Bible explains appearances aren't always based in fact. So the reality, number one, is Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin. Look at verse 18 and 19 in the text once again. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. That was really, really incredible. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
Now, a virgin is one who is not engaged in sexual relations. In other words, even though it appeared that Mary had betrayed her betrothal vows to Joseph, the fact is she was innocent, literally. There had been no impropriety on Mary's part. You need to know that they were betrothed, which in their day was a lot like marriage. They did not live in the same house. But if you wanted to break an engagement, you had to get a divorce. It was getting a divorce in that culture in the East. The scriptures would explain that Mary had been especially chosen to be the instrument through whom God would send his Messiah into the world. Our text tells us about Jesus coming to this earth. And at one point, our text mentions the prophet. That's in verse 22 of the text. There were a lot of prophets in those days. And in order to be a prophet, you had to pass one simple, very exacting test. Whatever you predicted better come true. And if you were wrong on your prophecy, there was only one grade, a hundred or failing. If it was failing, the penalty was death, death by stoning. Matthew was speaking of the prophet Isaiah, one of the greatest of all prophets, who accurately predicted quite a few historic events. For example, Isaiah predicted that Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world, would completely destroy the Israelites and remove all of their treasures, all of the treasures of the Jews. He even foretold that the surviving sons of the royal family would become eunuchs in the Babylonian palace. A little over a hundred years later, it happened. You'll find that in Isaiah chapter 39. Verses 5 through 7, and also in Daniel chapter 1. Isaiah also predicted once again that Babylon would later be conquered and annihilated by the Medo-Persian Empire, and that Babylon would never be inhabited again. Isaiah 13, verses 17 through 22 talk about that, and about 150 years later, it happened. Daniel 5 tells about that in verses 1 through 31. Isaiah also announced that a certain king named Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, would see that Jerusalem and her temple were rebuilt by allowing those who wished to do this work to return to their homeland. Again, he was right on target. In 200 years, it happened. Isaiah 44, verses 28 through chapter 45, verse 1. And also, you can read about it in Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 1. The first 11 verses. But his greatest prediction was probably this one. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And will call him Emmanuel. And about 700 years later. It happened. The appearance was that Mary was an unwed mother. The reality is Mary was a virgin. And then the second lesson of the day is the appearance was that Jesus was an illegitimate child. I really hate that term. It's still a term that we use quite frequently. What you may not know is how serious this term, this accusation was in the eyes of of a faithful Jew. Jesus being illegitimate 
actually disqualified him from normal access and worship. Deuteronomy 23 verse 2 says, No one born of a forbidden union, no one born of a forbidden union, nor any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the tenth generation. They were barred from worship. This makes me especially glad to live under the new covenant. I mean, isn't it wonderful that though we have all sinned through Jesus Christ by repentance and faith and trust in him, as the scripture says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Is, is that the most incredible thing in the world? I mean, Psalm 103 verse 10 is good news for every one of us that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Remember, Mary had committed no sin, but the appearance was that she had. So think about a moment, moment in your own life. What would it have been like to, to be in that situation? And what would it have been like to live the life that Jesus had to live with that, with that accusation, with that always in everybody's eyes when they saw you? I mean, think about it. Think about Jesus as a child. There goes that illegitimate son of Joseph and Mary. How about as a teenager? We don't know much about the life of Jesus as a teenager, but that title, illegitimate, went with him. As a young adult, appearances and the responses to those appearances can be so cold. But the reality was, reality number two is Jesus was supernaturally conceived according to what we read in verse 20 of our text. So look at verse 20 again. But after he had considered this, you know, Joseph was going through so much stress over this situation. He loved Mary. He thought she'd been unfaithful to him. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When you speak of a virgin birth, you're obviously speaking of something extraordinary. Supernatural. And for the unbeliever, this is an especially difficult step because the unbeliever is being told that in order to accept Jesus for who he is, he has to move or she has to move from the, the natural world to a supernatural world. And for many unbelievers, that's a tremendous barrier to cross. But it's really not so difficult if you believe in God's existence. If you believe in God's existence, if you believe in God, then you already believe in the supernatural. Because no one would ever say that God is natural. C.S. Lewis says this about Jesus. Jesus was conceived when God took off the glove of nature and touched Mary with his naked finger. I love that. And you know what that takes? It takes faith. Not blind faith, because we have so much evidence, so much confirmation of prophecies like Isaiah's prophecy hundreds of years before, and then it happened. But what is faith? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And here's the very definition of faith in the first verse. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. You know, Jesus, when he was talking about his return, he says, when the son of man returns, will he find faith in the earth? You know, people are losing faith all the time. When the son of man returns, will he find faith in the earth? 
He's talking to all of us. Because faith is the confidence of what we hope for. It's the assurance about what we do not see. And then verse 6, skip to that. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus was supernaturally conceived. The reality is by the Holy Spirit of God, because this is true, it qualified him to become the Lord of worship and ultimately to bear your sins and mine on a cross. Isaiah 53, the great prophet Isaiah, the prophet writes, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, upon Christ. And by his wounds, we are healed. So, the appearance was that Mary was an unwed mother. The reality, Mary was a virgin. The appearance was that Jesus was an illegitimate child. The reality is Jesus was supernaturally conceived. And then the third lesson, the appearance was that Jesus was an imposter. And there are many in Jesus' day that believe this, which led them to reject Jesus as God's Messiah. They didn't know And if they did know, they didn't believe the prophet and what the prophet said. If you look at verses 21 and 22, 23. And now take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. In fact, I've told lots of people, if you want to start reading the Bible, start in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a tremendous place to begin. Tells us so much about Jesus, about the new birth, what it means to be a Christian. It tells us so much about Jesus debating with those who were his enemies and they were debating him about his identity. And in John chapter eight, Jesus is once again, John chapter five is is a great chapter. I would always encourage you to read that. But John chapter eight is one of my favorites because he's challenging the Jewish leaders as to his identity. They're not convinced that he's come from God. So he's letting them know that they belong to another father. Now, Listen, you can you can look at all these pictures you want of what Jesus may have looked like. And a lot of them make him look very unmanly. But I'll tell you what. He was manly. He was a manly man. And he wasn't afraid of anybody. All you have to do is read John chapter 8 to know this. Because John chapter 8 tells us that he looked these guys right in the face and says, You belong to your father, the devil. <laughs> now, anybody in here want to... Step up and do that to somebody sometime. You like you're like your father, the devil. Well, that didn't make them very happy. So they replied to him in chapter eight, verse thirty nine. Look at verse verse thirty nine of John, chapter eight. Abraham is our father, they answered. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, he says, You are looking for a way to kill me, is what Jesus says. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And then he says, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. He goes at them again. And then in the last part of verse 41, the Jews have had enough. So they strike a low blow to Jesus. And they say this. Look at John 8, verse 41. Okay, verse 41. In the bold print, it says, we are not illegitimate children. We, as he's debating, we are not illegitimate children. And what's left out there? Two words. Like you. 
like you. They believe that Jesus was an imposter. So if you're in John 8, we are not illegitimate children, it says in verse 41. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus comes right back at them. If God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. Because I have come here from God. Now look a little further in John 8. And you know, they're talking about Abraham. And at this point in verse 53, Jesus is discussing this with them about Abraham. And they said, are are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? I mean, they're really getting hot at this point. And I, you know, I can understand. But Jesus in the power of the spirit replies, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, this is Jesus, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Well, this really got them upset. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? And this is the clincher. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. This is Jesus claiming to be God, and we know he's claiming to be God, because what did the Jews decide then? They picked up stones to kill him. They wanted to kill him. So the reality, he was not an imposter. The reality, number three, is Jesus was the perfect Savior. By placing your trust in Jesus, repenting of your sins, and placing your trust in the one who has done what you could never do for yourself, You will be saved. And without trusting in Christ, the Bible teaches unequivocally you cannot be saved. So let's let's think about that verse that everyone knows from the book of John. Even unbelievers know this verse. John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. that Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. The Pieta is a famous work of art that shows Mary and Jesus together, mother and child. And the names comes from the Italian word for pity. This work of art is different from Madonna and child. Madonna and child is mother, Mary and baby Jesus. Nothing unique about that. A mother holding her baby. But the Pieta is a picture of sorrow. And it's Mary's sorrow over the fact that she holds not her baby But the body of her son, the son of God, who has died on the cross. The most famous piatta is the statue carved by Michelangelo when he was not even 25 years old. This statue has stood in St. Peter's Cathedral since 1499. Yet the sorrow of the piatta was transformed into joy for Mary and for all of us who trust in Jesus Christ. When he rose from the dead, victorious from the dead... Conquering death in the grave for all of us who believe. That's the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity. It doesn't matter what it looked like, what the appearance was. What matters, what it was. That Mary's baby boy was the God of salvation for all who will believe. So let's finish the verse after John 3.16. Let's read our verse of the week, which is John 3.17 and 18 out loud together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this Thanksgiving season, now this Christmas season, all of which are times of stress. We love them, but we also recognize the stress can be difficult. And so, Lord Jesus, keep our eyes upon you. You are the hope of the world and our hope especially. So I pray that you'll help us all, Lord, to take our eyes off the things that seem to matter so much to us, but really in the long run aren't all that important. Help us, Lord, to focus on you and your goodness to us in giving us hope. Thank you for the, for the hope that you've given to us, Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus, precious Jesus, thank you for coming to us at Christmas. And thank you for loving us in a way that we've never been loved. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.